Hello, and welcome to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, a podcast where we review and discuss movies, trailers, TV shows, and everything else pop culture. In today's conversation, we'll be sharing our thoughts on the newest Disney Plus Star Wars series, Ahsoka. My name is Emmett, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and go-kart kid, Ivan. Dude, I love go-karts, man. You know what? <laughs> Anytime we mention go-karting, I'm reminded of the fact that I never actually avoided <laughs> a go-kart when I was a- appropriately sized to do so. What's an inappropriate size? Adult. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> what, adults aren't allowed to have fun? I mean, the, the go-kart is pretty much drag race, like drag racing, isn't it? Or speed, yeah, what do they call it? putting some drag on it. <laughs> Are you a go-kart or Mario Kart or Cario Mart guy? Cario Mart for sure, 100%. Obviously. I do that without the, without the Mart. Dude, if we ever find <laughs> ourselves in Tokyo, we got to do that Mario Kart in real life thing where they, they like reserve part of the street just so that you could do a whole like Mario Kart competition. Are you saying there's a Rainbow Road yes. somewhere in the world? Well, rainbow-ish. It's not really all that colored. It's multicolored. I don't think it's rainbow, though. Oh, okay. What's like your favorite Mario? What's your favorite Mario Kart map? It's definitely not Rainbow Road. It's the one with all the cows in there. I forget what it's called. The like farm, like from N sixty four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know what I'm talking farm. about, right? Yeah. Like the cows would randomly pop up in a certain portion of the map. Is I that the one that with the one. gophers too? Possibly. I only know is like the cows are in it, and then once you go to another section of the map, there's those giant like Venus flytrap looking dudes. Oh, Snap that's not N64. You're you're like a Nintendo Switch guy, aren't you? I mean, the recreations of the old ones, I forget what was on the 64 versus what's on here now. You should be on the Switch, too. Let's, we'll, we'll, we, put, we could be having our, our uh, lunch break Mario Kart sessions. That would be great. Uh, wrong answer, though. Mar- Yoshi <laughs> Valley on N64. Probably the best map. See, all I remember from the N64 version of, of Mario Kart was falling constantly and being picked up. Yeah. And by the time you get dropped off, game. too far. <laughs> <laughs> There's only eight racers, and the map is impossible to stay on. I still, I don't know who was able to stay on any track for that long without slipping up, because I, I was the worst Mario Kart player. The original Bowser. Have you tried the new one at all? Um, I might have. It's not memorable. I don't. Ever since they introduced like motorcycles, um, this is not cart anymore. True. We've lost the cart. Did we play Mario Kart? No, we were Super Smash at work. That was Super Smash Bros. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we were always working at work. Oh yeah, of course. Very (laughs) diligent workers, top of the notch. (laughs) <laughs> no it's 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 a great it's, that's a classic though like no matter what version of mario kart you pick up i feel like it's always like the pick up and play mode of it and that's the type of game i always get into especially now i feel like i don't have the patience for a lot of video games today but that's the type of game i'll definitely get into i have recently played the mario golf on switch now that is a fun game Mario Golf is a thing. Yeah, where it's like you can either play like a normal round of golf or you can play that like 
you pick up your bag and run down the course. Oh, that would be me. I totally would do that. <laughs> yeah, speed speed golf is pretty fun. Plus, there's like little like you can box your way down the the field, steal power ups. I've only done the I guess the Wii Fit version of golf, but on Switch. Golf. That's a classic. I yeah. think it's called Switch Sports now. I, f- I forget. I miss the Wii. <laughs> yeah, the Wii was great. They really, they really dropped the ball with the one after that. I forget what it's called. The one with the looks like a, it looks like a VCR. The console. Nintendo. Smash? Nintendo Wii U. That's what they called it. Not the most original name. Nor was yeah, it the most inventive. This does look like a VCR. It does, right? And it has this little companion like tablet and all that. They it's were like, a like floppy disk holder. Yeah, one step <laughs> into the one step into it, one step out. Welcome to Wii University. Right? <laughs> that's yeah, that's bad. Hey, hey man, it's been a while since we've chit-chatted. Obviously, we're doing three episodes worth of Ahsoka at one time. Yes. What's, what's been going on, man? Uh, one thing I did want to uh, talk about that I that was on my wall. I actually wanted to text you about this uh, as we were, as I was watching it. <laughs> was Blue Beetle? Can't believe you supported that. Other, <laughs> the only reason would be for George Lopez. Listen, I found a, a plethora of reasons to support it. So I'm I'm gonna try to keep this as brief as I can, <laughs> but. I saw the movie. It was painfully average um, in terms of a superhero movie. I thought it was on paper um, and, you know, conceptually, story played out uh, regularly average, I guess, for lack of a better term. Uh, nothing was particularly bad about it. I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was very good. The problem was um, with me is that I feel like it was a very, like, C-lister character that nobody really wanted to pay all that much attention to. That being said, it's like, if I would just take it at face value, it would be a solid 6.5, maybe a 7 out of 10 for me. What brings it up to close to a 9 for me, yeah, I know, <laughs> is the... I'm sorry, you just gave a three-point swing. <laughs> it So, dude, so, <laughs> I think for anybody... Um, that was kind of expecting, I guess, a big, like, I don't know, No Way Home style film. This isn't it. <laughs> you know, this definitely isn't it. This isn't DC's best. Um, but there are a few things that really, really saved this film for me. Um, this is probably the most accurate portrayal of a, particularly of a Mexican family <laughs> that I've seen in any mainstream anything. And I think that that's what kind of set it off for me in terms of like the level of it being as good as much of an enjoyment from from my own. Obviously, it's a bit of a personal bias, right? But um, I haven't seen this much detail uh, being taken to portray it. And I think that that's what really elevated it for me because it wasn't just George Lopez. I thought George Lopez was going to be my favorite part about this film, to be honest with you. Um, but there was a lot there that I thought I have never seen portrayed on screen. Um, and they did it so organically. It wasn't like a in-your-face kind of approach. It wasn't a, you know, like going out of their way to establish it as a unique perspective. But it's like the ebb and flow of it that was weaved through it. That That's what elevated it for me. Um, there's so many things <laughs> about this film that 
I think it got really, really well. There's a um, there's a Mexican comedian called um, Chespirito, and he's like an icon across all of Mexico. Anybody with any sort of like, you know, Mexican trace <laughs> and in their in their childhood has seen some of his stuff. And he had a character called um, uh, El Chapulín Colorado, which is translating to it translates to the Red Grasshopper. It's a very like comedic timing kind of thing, but they play they pay tribute to it as it's the closest thing to like a legit like Mexican produced superhero thing that we've had uh, growing up. So they pay tribute to that. They have, but they do it in such a really casual and funny way uh, that just kind of elevates the film for me. So I'm it's a shame that it bombed at the box office. That being said, I understand why it did. There wasn't a lot of backing behind it. There wasn't a lot of things going on to promote it. Um, but it's it's a solid film. It's nothing that's going to blow your mind at all. But like for anybody who um, in particular is looking for something to enjoy with a lot of heart, this is it. It's a pretty good sales pitch. That's good to hear that it like and it, you felt well represented in there. And I, yeah, I feel like I only ever saw trailers for it at the movie theaters the tv budget must have been pretty low if at all i feel like they just kind of gave up on these last few films like i know they they went out of their way to promote the flash i feel like that's the biggest like promoted dc film i saw this year yeah everything else i feel like got the short end of the stick um and the, the flash was terrible yeah, I'll be honest with you, though. I feel like had this been a Max release, this would have gotten a lot of attention, mm. which which was the intention originally. This was shot for HBO Max specifically for like a TV movie. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't feel like a TV movie. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But I, I feel like because of that angle, it would have probably gathered a bit more enthusiasm just because you're like, oh, it's free. And, you know, like it's a, it's a new character and you have all these other things to talk about. I feel like it would have, you know, definitely stirred the pot a little bit more for in, in the positive way, but again, it's it's Blue Beetle. Nobody knows who the heck he is. That's, you know? the, that's the problem, right? It's like, you want me to go pay 15 to $30 for tickets and snacks and whatnot for, uh, you know, it's not the actors that we don't know, because usually we don't know these actors that get the superhero role, but it's really like, I just don't know this, um, this character. Yeah, it's hard to weave these C-listers in there. Like I know Miss Marvel's technically falling within that, and I liked it. Like honestly, the the way that the family was played out in uh, Miss Marvel is the same way that they do the family here. Um, so it has those like elements of it, right? But I feel like with Miss Marvel, it was on Disney Plus, and they kind of pivoted to that a bit. They they played into that uh, format, whereas they had over a here, little bit to lean on where like the tie-in with Captain Marvel, even yeah. though it didn't really play out until the last episode. I think just having the name, the weight associated with it. Yeah, plus I think the MCU has a bigger weight associated to it than like the DCU. Yeah. Because it's kind of like a failed experiment. So, yeah, it's it's tough. But like honestly, like when it comes to Max, you should give it a shot. I feel like it's a it's a pretty good movie. Um, I hope they continue the character. I feel like he was perfectly casted. Everything about this film, like I said, a bit painfully average, but it's the little things for me that really elevated it for me. Just like I went in there with like zero expectations which might be part of the reason why i feel like my experience got bumped up quite a bit but it was great and also just side note but (laughs) the 
the characterization of the grandmother is like the most accurate ever. I've never met a single Mexican grandmother that could speak a, speak a word of English. But Abuelita? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so it was like the most, um, again, this is like the most authentic portrayal of a, of a Mexican household <laughs> that I've ever That's seen. That's cool. That's good to hear. Yeah, and it looks like you're not alone because it, it's Rotten Tomato is like 78, but the audience score is 92. So I feel like you're not alone on that. Maybe it's one of these hidden gems that like people who kind of just like myself wrote off before giving it a chance. It 100% is. But again, like I, there was no effort to try to like make it appealing. There was no effort to try to find the audience for it. I, I don't know. I just it, it just feels like. Well, yeah, there was, there was also like one version of that trailer. So if you didn't connect to that yeah. trailer, you're you've written it off. Right. Right, and which is a, a, a tragedy, I guess. I, I just hope like this these learnings for DC go into this new universe that they're forming, because I I want to cheer for DC films, man. I really, really do. It's just been like, you know, such a slow burn <laughs> that I'm kind yeah. of not all that interested anytime I see anything. We have Aquaman, the third one, or the second one coming out soon. And I'll be honest with you, man, I don't think i'm even gonna try to attempt even as an amc a list member i don't think i'm gonna go out of my way to watch it in theaters i'll, I'll play with the aquaman skin or the the black manta skin in Fortnite, but that's that's where my support ends <laughs> <laughs> yeah the first one of that was so bad and what they've done with like the flash where they try to tie in the justice league that was really brutal so i agree i don't even i don't know if it's worth it Dude, can I just... I, I'm baffled by the fact that that movie, the Aquaman movie, was the only DCEU movie to earn over a billion dollars. Out of everything to come out. How? <laughs> like, I just wasn't don't that, know. Wasn't that earlier on their timeline of releases? So, like, I feel like that was right when people thought, okay, DC is going to start competing now. Let me go see it. And pretty much everyone saw it. That's why I don't know if there was a lot of repeat ticket sales. I think it was just like people weren't hip to DC being pretty bad. I think it was right after Justice League that it came out. So like, and Justice League bombed. That's why like yeah, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it. He was good in Justice League. That's why you're like, okay, terrible movie because they couldn't bring them all together. But the same way that like getting, um, hmm, I guess we had. Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America before Avengers, didn't we? They obviously had ones after it, but... Yeah. I guess it's not really like Marvel. Yeah, it's hard to compare it. But I I just don't know. Like DC has been on a very baffling spree of films where it's like back and forth, like a tug of war between tones and all this, so... I feel like the stuff I've enjoyed beyond Man of Steel has been one-off stuff here and there, and then like there's been no attempt to try to make it all cohesive and make sense, I guess, which is also a bit of a turnoff for people. I don't know if I can name a DC project that I've really enjoyed since Man of Steel, if I'm being honest. I'm not trying to be like hypercritical, but like nothing sticks out to me. See, like, the Zack Snyder Justice League cut I thought was great, but at four mm-hmm. hours, you can't, like, it's hard to justify it, right? Like, I, like I'm like i not going to say it's, like, the most, like, amazing freaking thing, but 
I definitely enjoyed it better than the Joss Whedon cut, but I haven't seen it more than that one time that we sat there right. and talked about it. Yeah, and like the dawn of um or like Batman vs Superman. That could have been really great, yeah. but it wasn't. Like none of these projects were that good. Like maybe Wonder Woman. But that has a lot of flaws within it, you know. Well, Batman vs Superman again, the extended cut decent watch like makes makes the other one look like night and day but again three and a half hours is so hard to commit to for these things it's just but I those are also like time. when you failed your english paper in high school and your teacher said oh, you I'll get give to redo you another chance it. to rewrite it <laughs> yeah. like of course it's going to be better than the first time you gave it in but like it's still you turned the c into like a b minus like <laughs> that's true we're not talking about a huge upgrade here that's true. That's fair. Yeah, I don't know. I and the thing is, like, I feel like I, I don't know. I'm I'm excited for what James Gunn could potentially bring to the table, but it's just it's a wait and see for me for all of these. I feel like it's yeah. just I don't want to get my hopes up, and yet I don't know. We talked about this before, but DC was my number one thing growing up in the '90s. It wasn't really Marvel. I had Spider-Man on Marvel and the X-Men maybe, but DC yeah, was the thing to be at. You look like a big Batman guy. <laughs> <laughs> you just have that air, that aura around you. You strike me as a Batman type person. <laughs> Are you not? Are you Superman? Yeah, I'm more of a Batman person than Superman. There it is. <laughs> You're dark and broody. What about you? What about you? <laughs> my, D- my DC character? Um, Probably Aquaman. I see you as a Blue Beetle fan. <laughs> <laughs> I was a closeted Blue Beetle fan the whole time. Yeah. I was bluffing. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't big on DC. I, I would probably go with like Batman as well. But then He's again, I would also go like Iron Man for for Marvel. I think I just like a rich guy who can build his superpower. <laughs> <laughs> just money is the best superpower in any. It in really any world, is, man. Just so realistic. <laughs> that is true. That is very true. Yeah. What's what's on your wall now that I've taken up quite a bit of our conversation? Yeah, I mean, now there's no time left, huh? No, no mine mine's super quick. I, nothing exciting. I've been um, I just started and also just finished Righteous Gemstones on Mac. Oh. Are you are you a watcher of that? Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I don't know why I kept putting it off, but like, I don't know something about like just the. The idea of it was like, that's not that interesting. But the execution of it is just hilarious. Like Danny McBride, Adam Devine, John Goodman. Uh, yeah, like this whole cast just crushes it. And like all these interactions between them. And I, I like that it is like a, it's poking fun at religion while also kind of like being somewhat informative or like having a base layer of a good message just piled under a ton of like, dick jokes and stuff like that it's so hard i think to make like dark comedies with a message that is you know that has some substance and this nails it the first season it's been a while right since the since the first season had come out i know it's been a number of years at this point yeah the third season just wrapped up i think that's why i kind of got into it i've heard they're possibly doing more i hope they do i mean i'm honestly so i'm halfway through the current season so I'm not fully, fully caught up yet. But the first season was one of the best things I had ever seen. <laughs> um, but like it, it, it definitely like kind of piqued my interest 
from the promos a bit, but honestly, it just I saw it on a whim one day, and it just like I binged it all the way through. Um, and then I, I did, did the, the same thing. Season I was doing for drop a drop, so. Yeah, I did the same thing where I was like, let me just give one episode a try, and I was like, okay, one just turned into like three, and then into five, and now I'm just cruising this through this whole thing. The the only downside of it though is that like, they have such an outrageous and stupid plot <laughs> yeah. through the first couple seasons that like it really becomes hard to top itself as it keeps going so i think they did okay how they ended season three i don't know how they can keep making it more extreme as they as they go on well fingers crossed these surprises <laughs> with mark yeah and i like um i like danny mcbride's style of writing and I think this was all done in Charleston, South Carolina, right? Like he's mo- he like he moved out there with a whole bunch of his buddies and they just have like moved their writing company out there, which is kind of cool like a, a movement away from LA. Yeah, there's been a lot of that. I think the last couple of years or so, which like particularly being here in New York, it's turning into more of a movie haven lately than it than it was well before the strikes, but um there's been a lot more projects coming out of out of LA um being shot more locally i think before this atlanta had become a, a bigger a yeah bigger deal in the industry too so um well, but was, yeah i was definitely I, on the shoulders of marvel yeah yeah well yeah because i think they did um i forget what they shot they were doing something with the tyler perry studios i think where a number of the projects they were doing and then they just kind of branched off into their own thing there too So are we finally ready to talk some Ahsoka? Oh, yes. Yes, I've been holding my thoughts back for so long. Yes, Yes, let's do it. So we're not, like, terribly far behind because the first week they dropped a a deuce on us and gave us two episodes at once. Both, like, they were, like, 45 minutes or so about each? Uh, Just about. I think the first one was 57 minutes or something like that, and then the second one was a little bit less than that. Yeah. So it was about an hour and a half for a little bit more. um, Yeah. First week. And then we just had the other episode drop the yesterday. So now we're just kind of bundling these first three. Uh, So we have a pretty good chunk of change here to get a feel on the show so far. But do you want to just talk through like your progression of like what week one felt like and then where you're at now? Yeah, I think uh, to be honest, I so I think that the last the last time we talked about this, I was uh, re-binging Rebels. And right. I got through... I think I, I don't think I finished it. I think I got through most of the last season. And just because of time and all that, I just wasn't able to, to re-watch the last couple episodes. Um, but to be honest, I think this, this might be uh, one of, if not the strongest starts uh, for a Star Wars series, at least for me. Uh, it kind of rivals Mandalorian season one in terms of scope and kind of delivering on expectations. Uh, week one, I thought Rosario Dawson did a great job, you know, portraying the older, wiser, slightly more stoic um, Ahsoka. And then, I honestly, I think the standout for me, the first two episodes, was uh, uh, Natasha Bordizo's uh, Sabine uh, portrayal. Yeah, I thought they did amazing kind of countering off of each other acting as foils to one another here and there overall i think very very strong start um a lot here to kind of look at for hardcore fans 
my one concern slash complaint a little bit is that I feel like we're we've stumbled a little bit on the required reading slash required viewing um, yeah. aspect yeah. of franchises. I think, but again, like I'm looking at this from somebody that just freshly watched Rebels, so like I'm really picking up on things here and there um, that I think uh, enrich the experience. So it's hard for me to separate myself from like a casual fan. Uh, so I don't know. I might I might be harping on that a little bit too much, but I do think that there should, be, if you haven't watched those series before, you might be missing out a few little things here. Well, that's kind of always been the case like true fans will pick up on every easter egg and therefore appreciate that but casual fans will just let the whole show wash wash over them and get to just experience a really good plot and good acting and you know creative ideas so i don't think it's necessary that all the like you don't have to go back and watch all rebels or clone wars well one the one thing okay so i think i think where this kind of stems for me is the whole Ezra and Thrawn thing. Sure. Because I think everything else is like, you know, you're just picking up the plot here and there. But with Ezra and Thrawn, it's almost like, for a casual fan, I feel like just the name drops of those two characters, you're like, who are they? Why should I care? What is going on? And I don't think the first episode really established who Ezra was and why Sabine cares so much about him, other than, like, the little hologram scene. Um, well, and the memorial in Lothal. Yeah, and we can get into specifics like there are small little drops. And I think that's the intent, right? Like it's a really hard line to walk for the directors and writers of this to be like, we're going to explain enough for the casual fan that they can keep up, but not too much that, you know, for people who have done that required reading have are, are feeling like they're just watching a summary of all that stuff. So it's a really tough line to walk. Personally, I feel like they, they've been doing a really good job with that, where I don't feel like they've slowed it down so much for for the casuals, and I feel like I'm just like, all right, get to the point. The first couple episodes were packed with action. Yeah, they were. I feel like the pacing definitely... This is like the opposite of Andor, where I was like yeah. waiting for four episodes for something to happen. Yeah, my first text was like, this might be the best Star Wars show we've had so far and like i loved mandalorian but the first two episodes here were both hits in my opinion yeah i i agree and that also avoided the well i think we have to separate andor from this but i think the the last couple of of shows have been played with bad third episodes um i don't know if you share this opinion but i think like for example kenobi i thought the first two episodes were solid third episode we, you, you start to see a little bit of like you know the, the holes in the armor and um you're like okay I, I can't really get over this this and that yeah um book of boba fett same thing i thought we had a strong two episode start and then well second episode was a little lackluster but third one hits and you're like not feeling this at all right and i didn't really feel that about mando season three i feel like mando season three was uniquely season three was like a interesting beast because it wasn't really about him it was like all the mandalorians together but yes the formula typically is by like the third and fourth episode you kind of get these little like filler ones that we've been talking about same idea towards the end of these seasons where typically six episode seasons so like episode five is mostly just a setup filler 
so it's possible that we do see fillers come out of this because it is a longer season. We're, we get eight episodes of this, right? Yeah, there's supposed to be eight. But I so I just, it's possible I, that like episode four could be. It's objective driven though, right? Like I, I feel like I get that sense more than I think the other shows. Um, right? Like I, I feel like yeah. there's like I know the purpose of it. I know what they're trying to do, and every episode keeps delivering on that same um plot. And whereas I feel like the others, it's like oh, we have a mission. And then pause because we're gonna do this side quest, <laughs> right? And then you know, and that's become a little bit repetitive. I don't so much mind it whenever it's like a good side quest, but most of the time it kind of just deviates from what we're trying to do. Right. But I mean, look at Clone Wars, the animated series. Like that was all side quests. <laughs> yeah. So I, it it depends on what you're interested in. I think when you get into live action, you are interested less in side quests, just because if I only get a 30 minute episode like the third one. I want it to be jam-packed with progressing the plot. And I think the the fun thing here for either for the casuals who are catching up now or for you know, kind of the diehards is the idea of like, are Ezra and Thrawn alive? And can they be found yeah. and brought back? It's so much more than just like, you know, these interactions between Sabine and Ahsoka or with Morgan Elsbeth or these other Inquisitors, like, it's so much more than just what's right in front of you. It's the, you know, the bigger issue at hand is, is the, the, one of the smartest generals for the opposition coming back. And do we possibly get another Jedi back? Um, should we get into specifics? I feel like we should just like get into whatever we want to talk about this with these, or just should we go through one? By no, one? let's let, yeah, let's run through, um, specifics. You, you, if you want to go out of order, you can, I'll just hold um, you in content. Yeah, he'll be in content, of course. Um, okay, so I see Morgan Elsbeth on our notes real quick. So I yeah, so I was pleasantly surprised um, to see her as a night sister here. Which yeah, very makes, cool detail. Yeah, a lot of sense because I'm like, okay, cool. So like the fight with her and Ahsoka in Mando season two makes a little bit more sense now because it's two force sensitives versus you know what I thought was just like somebody ahsoka was toying with yeah right um i don't know if the intention was always there i feel like it was right because she I, wasn't... that that kind of feels like they saved it with writing this in now do you think so because like somebody look pointed at her out this the season are the same yeah but look at her this season like she's got like the new like glowing face paint like That's true marks that she didn't really have in the first or in mando so I feel like they might have just been like, that's a good save. Let's write it in. And it is and it's viable and it's believable. So I think those kind of like fix it's are to- I'm totally fine with. I feel like they probably saw somebody's theory and they're like, Yeah, right. that, that sounds good. <laughs> we meant to do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like fixing Luke Skywalker's CGI. Like just crowdsource it. Yeah. By but the what way... about this idea of like no Republic ship is safe? And this kind of a- appears you know, throughout this episode and the next, the second episode, but also in like Andor and every other series as well, where it's like, why did the New Republic just say, "Yep, we're going to keep the same workforce"? <laughs> I think so. It's funny because like we saw that in Mando season three a lot, right? The especially like the the, the converts right. and all that, Perfect. and now it makes yeah. it makes sense and kind of justifies the inclusion of the whole that entire episode with uh, Pershing in season three. Which I think that was our episode three, 
on of Mando season three, if I if I recall. I don't know. Might have been, yeah. Um, it kind of justifies it because it's they're going out of their way to showing just how, and even Book of Boba Fett to an extent, some of the mentions of it, um, how inefficient the New Republic was, how they got super prideful, and then Mando season three, we realize they're dismantling the fleets entirely, not just their own rebel fleet, but like the 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 ships that they got from the Empire. And um, it's a little bit more world building, which Star Wars has done really well. But it goes to kind of justify a lot of the events of the of the sequel trilogy. Now we see why Leia went out of her way to make a resistance instead of like staying sticking with the New Republic. Now we see why the New Republic felt like why are you letting this like imperialistic sect go off and do their own thing and like become this powerful? Well, we see why it's like bureaucracy and all that. I like those elements, um, just for the world building aspect of it. But it is very sad to see that like everything that all these like heroes from the original trilogy fought for is going to ruin because the in the back of your head you know where the, all this heads eventually. Yeah, it's it's so much pride. What it is, what it is. Where like an a situation like this or an issue like this appears like in the second episode, where they find out that. Everyone on um, you put chorus on in my head before Corellia uh, have have are like still working for the Empire in their own ways. Like something like that gets reported up to the generals, and then they say, "No, that's an isolated event. That's not widespread." But they that keeps happening everywhere, and nobody is listening to this except for like one person, which we're seeing from one series to another of Mon Mothra, right? Yeah, but she seems powerless to her peers at this stage. Yeah, because she's so nervous of saying, like, we are doing something wrong, then she'll just get kicked out of the leadership. So she's like, we can see like her starting to spin the wheels of, like, how do I play this tact, like, intelligently? Um. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's... I-, I like this, though. Like, honestly, like, there's something about... Um. There's a lot of folks that say... The, the Clone Wars kind of redeems the prequel trilogy. And I think in many ways, we're kind of seeing the same thing with the sequel trilogy with, with The Mandalorian Never. and some of these. <laughs> it's, it's putting into context certain things. All, and all like, it does is like, it did, like, the sequel trilogies probably didn't have enough time or good writing to explain themselves. So this just allows that. I, I get what you're saying, but yeah. one, you cannot redeem Canto Bite. Listen, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I will, I will argue that I, I will argue, I will agree that um, all the Finn and Poe stuff from Last Jedi, I don't think there's anything you can do to fix that. But I think some of the other issues that folks have had an issue with, particularly when it comes to like the New Republic and Leia and Luke and all that, I feel like that can get remedied by adding more meat to the bone here. Um. You know, there's so many things that they can do in this in this space, and I feel like they're they're going out of the way to to making this a better experience for a fan for the fans. Um, that being said, there is one thing I will say I'm kind of getting tired of, and that is well, there's two things. We'll get to the second one later, but the first thing is the plot of maps in Star Wars that lead to. <laughs> there's a secret map, and we're missing one section of yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I a map to Luke. A map to um, what was the planet in Rise of Skywalker? Exegol. Um, a map oh, to yeah. another galaxy now, apparently. 
I, I did see some arguments online where they're like, it doesn't make sense that somebody made a map to Thrawn. And I was like, I don't think they made a map to Thrawn, but they made a map to this galaxy that yeah. Elspeth somehow knows Thrawn is at. So that like is a little bit of a logic thing where people are just not Well, no, that, that wasn't presented great because like Morgan presents it as like, there's a map to, that could lead us to Thrawn. But it's like, it's not leading you to him. It's leading you to the place that he's at. Yeah. Which is different than it sounds. Yeah, it's not like she can turn on her find my iPhone and track Thrawn's whereabouts. <laughs> you know, he's gotta he's gotta use the old fashioned. This is like him being like, "Hey, look, look on the yellow pages. It's this address right here." Yeah, yeah. No, but I yeah I agree. The map thing is lame. However, retrieving this map was pretty cool. It was very Indiana Jones like, which just kind of continues that tie between um, Star Wars and Spielberg's work. All the Lucasfilm stuff, I think, like, the call-outs are really cool. Um, which, by the way, that new Indiana Jones movie was really good, too. It's, it's too bad that people were harping on You it. already missed your chance to talk about it. I know, so. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you spent too much time on Blue Beetle. Dude, those HK droids. I, I yeah. am loving those. The same way I loved Grievous's bodyguard droids, I'm glad to see those kind of things back in. And for anybody who used to play those old... Knights of the Old Republic games, those HK assassin droids are back in canon. Yeah. Love to see that. I, I love those little callbacks. Um, and that also gives us a good way to see lightsaber combat without having to have a lightsaber battle every single episode. Well, yeah, it does reduce the stakes of the fights somewhat in a way that is entertaining. Because if you see right now of... Ahsoka going up against either Inquisitor or well, any of the three Inquisitors that there are. I don't know if they're all Inquisitors technically, but um, seeing her fight them in episode like two and three, you know nobody's gonna die because there's five more episodes. But <laughs> with these like assassin droids, like it actually makes it into a more entertaining fight because it's like okay, it's one versus five, so she's got to work on some of these droids. There's one clear Inquisitor. And there, that's the guy with the actual spinning blade. I don't know if you've seen any of the online talk, but his, his name is Marek. Yeah. He gets name dropped. I've seen some, some fan theories that I don't yeah. agree with. <laughs> so okay, I I think I think you and I might be in agreement on it. Do you do you think this is Ezra? No. Me neither. I don't think that's the thing at all. It, I mean, it'd be really lazy writing because that would have meant like Thrawn was back too, and like. I don't know, there just doesn't seem like enough time to have brought Ezra back, have brainwashed him somehow into, or like tortured him into that role of Inquisitor. And he has zero memories of like, because Inquisitors aren't like memoryless. They've just been like punished so much that they have turned evil. So it's not really like he would right. forget Ahsoka or forget Sabine. So I don't really buy it. I I can get why fans would get behind it because they want to have this like, you know, this connection to Ezra there. And because he's wearing a mask, you don't know who it is. So it makes it very easy to make a prediction like that. But this is probably just a character that they've created that, you know, it's like when um, Kylo Ren took off his helmet for the first time. You're like, that's what was under it. Like, it's just going to be one of those (laughs) things, I think, for us. I think so, too. Um, but I did see like the in, the more interesting theories to me were like like Sam Witwer, the voice actor that that played Maul in the in the animated sh- shows, 
is credited as a voice actor here. And while I don't Maul. think I don't think Maul's back, <laughs> but 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 I do think you said it. Oh my god, he said it. I said Maul. <laughs> um, a um, there was a character he played in The Force Unleashed, which was the main character, Vader's secret apprentice in those video games. They're not. I don't think they're canon. Um, but people are speculating that that could be him, and that might be why they have him armored and everything. I don't know. I don't know if I buy that either. To be honest, I feel like this Inquisitor is just going to be an Inquisitor, <laughs> you know, like somebody we haven't seen before. Uh, that being said, I can see them tying in either of these two, whether it's Ezra, whether it's, you know, the Vader's apprentice in some way. But it has to make sense. And I hope it does. You know, like if it is a secret that they want us to cling into, cool. But we'll just like make it make sense to some degree, you know, down the line. Obviously not now, but, you know, um, it's just interesting to see that every single time we get even a slight mystery like this, fans are like, oh, this is clearly what's his name from this thing or that. Um, preferably, I would like it for for it to just be a regular inquisitor that we just haven't seen before although it is ezra's move to wear a mask and get behind enemy lines so that that is true and merrick hasn't really put up a serious fight against anyone so maybe he's holding back there's myself in this (laughs) (laughs) there's rust on his armor though so he's been an inquisitor for some time oh he couldn't steal someone else's armor come on i mean okay yeah true (laughs) but uh Talking about the bad guys, what do you, who do you think um, Balon's skull, right? And yeah. Shin, the other, his apprentice. Shin, Shin Hati. Yeah, who do you think these people are? Are they also Inquisitors? They're, I mean, Balon's a former Jedi, they've said that, but this isn't people we've run into before. No, I, I don't, we haven't seen these in canon Um let me adjust my nerd glasses real quick. <laughs> um, oh my god! I wish the people at home could see that. <laughs> you got, the, you got uh, some scotch tape between those. <laughs> right here. Let me just press my glasses up to my brow. All right, um, hit us with the cannon. <laughs> no, given that like heir to the empire is getting turned into a movie, there is a Jedi character in that book that works for Thrawn, and. Like, I'm not going to get too into it because there's too much going on on it, but I, I think that that's the... Balin serves as that archetype character from that uh, book. I think his role's going to be very similar to that Jedi. Um, oh, so Shin Hati, I can't, um, I can't like, point to a character that I feel like she fills the shoes of. But that being said, there is the, the matter of Luke Skywalker's wife in the old canon... That gets introduced in 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 there to the Empire, which again, like based off the sequel trilogy, we have no indication that he ever that she ever existed in the canon. But um, there is um, she is like a dark Jedi assassin for the Emperor. Like that's Luke's eventual wife in the in the book. Shin Hati doesn't fill that role, but to me, I kind of question like, are we gonna are we gonna go there? <laughs> are we gonna like have any sort of like segue into that? I'm not sure. It'd be cool to pull Luke into this series in some way, either how he's connected with Grogu during this time or just like as backup. I don't think we'll see him until the final episode. And I know that, be... but I want more. I, I want more Luke. More. <laughs> you yeah, know I who she's to... reminding me of, though? 
Who? She's kind of got these Anakin vibes. Oh, yeah. Did Anakin True. ever get around with anyone other than Padme? Maybe. I mean, you know. It's a big he, galaxy. I was going to say Ventress, but Ventress had a thing with Obi-Wan. <laughs> like a flirty thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, now that you bring that up, she's also wearing Anakin's headset from like episode three. Right. The And it, her... Her, um, and she never blinks. Starcraft looks just like it. It's got like some Naboo elements to it. It kind of looks like yeah. a little bit like the speeder. Unlike the others, they kind of look ugly, like the uh, Spitfires from World War Two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she, I mean, even when she's fighting with the lightsaber, she she's got that look in her eye of just like yeah. Anakin right before he would fight. Well, so it's an interesting thing you bring that up, too, because, like, Heir to the Empire relies on, like, cloning as a subplot for things. Like, there's a clone of Luke in the in the novel. There's a cl- the, the Jedi character that I think Balin is filling the shoes of is a clone of another Jedi from the Clone Wars. So, I mean, it could be like a cloned Anakin. We've seen Omega and Bad Batch be a, you know, a- opposite sex uh clone of Django. Yeah. So it could that, be. Yeah. Which would make it weird if then they pair him up with Luke. And... <laughs> I mean, he's already hooked up with his sister. So. This, yeah, you know, it's, just, it's, it's, it's a small thread there today. <laughs> um, no, yeah. but, but one interesting thing, because like Dave Filoni is a big fan of mythology. Um, and I think Balin and, and Shin in particular, uh, I think they... they the, the the two names kind of come from um, Norse mythology as the the two wolves that fight Loki, I think. Hmm. Um, so it would be an interesting thing to see how they kind of mirror that. That being said, too, I think Marek would probably have some sort of mythology thing going on, too. I'm not familiar with, yeah. with like Merrick as a name uh, from Norse, but I don't think it comes from Norse. It could be from something else. I don't know. Basically, I don't know what these characters are. I I think they're fallen Jedi. I don't think they're being advertised as as Inquisitors, so I wouldn't think that they're uh, Inquisitors. From the scene with Hu Yang, it sounds like Balin was definitely a Jedi at the end of the Clone Wars. Shen, I'm assuming he trained in the ways of the Force after the fall of uh, the Republic, like a counter Ezra, essentially. Yeah, I mean, this makes it a 2v2. Three if right, you count yeah. Merrick. And then three if you count Sabine. Which, can we talk about? Because this is the hardest part I'm I'm holding on to for this series, is that Sabine started training in the Jedi arts, has zero Force sensitivity, and he's... and But, like, I, the little line at the end of the third one where Ahsoka's like, I don't need her to be a Jedi, that does clear up some stuff. But Hu Yang, the training droid, was like, you tested the worst among all the Jedi that I've ever trained. Like, why are you comparing her to other Jedi then? She's not even Force-sensitive. Of course she's not, like, yeah. going to be as good. Well, I think that... I think the idea is that everybody could be Force-sensitive, but... you're. <laughs> <laughs> that, I feel like that's where we went with Last Jedi, and then they rewrote it with Rise of Skywalker. Like I loved that Rey was a nobody in Last of Jedi, in, in the Last Jedi. But then Rise of Skywalker rewrote it to be Palpatine's uh, granddaughter. 
but the the idea I think has always been there. I think in in the past when they've like when George Lucas has talked to about the Force is that everybody technically is Force sensitive. However, your actual like if you train, I think this, it was somewhere along he compared it to like karate or jujitsu or any other martial arts form. It's like you can get good at it, but talent's also a factor. So like you can't be. You could learn to wield the force, but you're never going to be as good as somebody that has like a natural jump to it, which I think is where the whole midichlorian thing comes into play. Um, so I think somebody like Sabine, she could be sort of force sensitive, but I wouldn't expect her to be able to lift the next wing out of the ground, you know, or, you know, but maybe she can learn how to push and call things to her. Whereas like Broom Kid from Last Jedi, he knew it. Yeah, he has a talent for it, so technically he could probably be a, a, a powerful Jedi. But I don't know. I mean, I I'm torn on it too because I feel like, on one hand, I like that message that Last Jedi left us with, which like and anybody could become uh, a Force wielder, a Jedi. At the same time, it's a very thin thread to to you know to balance on. Um, but I do like that we're not like oh Sabine's all of a sudden like a miracle. Um, yeah, at least she's like, struggling with it. Yeah, we're seeing her journey and progression, and like I don't think we're ever gonna see her be like a full-on force wielder, but I think we could probably see her pull off some minor stuff with it. I get her wanting to be trained when Ezra was taken, so that arc makes sense. It's just the idea is like, why are we? I don't know. You could just train her better to be a better leader and. She could have been the leader of the Mandalorians, you know. Yeah, it, there's definitely a, it's definitely an interesting choice that they went with here because, like, to me, from a plot perspective, like if you're worried about Bail and Skull and Shin Hati, you got Luke at the other side of the galaxy, who's arguably like the best Jedi you have right there next to Anakin Skywalker. So if you really all time, need greatest of all time, that's what apparently. Saying. So if you really need somebody to like help you with that wouldn't you go to him first before yeah. you know like so i don't know i mean it's um it's an interesting choice i'm not fully opposed to it i, I just think it's it definitely threw me for a loop a bit because i don't think we've seen any indication that she was ever force sensitive so i don't know yeah yeah it's also interesting to that let's just bypass the idea that sabine died and then was brought back um, but the, the thing that most interests me is the, like, the idea of what is right and wrong for the Jedi Order, of, like, Hu Yang is stuck in the past of, like, this is how the Jedi have trained for ever, and it's proven that it's always worked, and then Ahsoka's, like, until it stopped working. So, it's interesting that, like, their missions for going up against, like, a Balin or, and Shin, or going up against Morgan is like Ahsoka, especially not being part of the Jedi order can at least see like, maybe we have to be a bit more aggressive with some people so that we don't allow evil to rise. But if you bring Luke in, he's so attached to how the old style was where he wouldn't probably have what it takes to kill or take out in that set in like, in a, in that setting. That is true. That's true, yeah, because we we have we're seeing pacifist Luke right now, which is the one we saw in Boba Boba Fett with uh with with Grogu, and he is stuck 
I think we talked about this when we talked about Book of Boba Fett, but I was surprised to see Luke harp on the whole like attachments issue. Um, that being said, given where things go in the sequel trilogy, it makes sense that right. There is wiggle room there. I feel like yeah, you're 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 onto something there with that. Um, it's also like the non-traditional Jedi Master Apprentice thing definitely jives with uh with selecting Sabine. I feel like that that's definitely part of the whole rogue Jedi kind of thing. Yeah, um, I feel like they mistitled these episodes because the part three really should have been Master and Apprentice here. Like, mm-hmm. this is much more like that last episode that we just watched is much more about Ahsoka training Sabine, but also learning how to be an instructor, which I think she, like, once she realizes that and makes that switch, you know, they obviously become a, a great tag team in, in the dogfight in space. Um, that might be one of the better space fights we've gotten, or at least like very Clone Wars animated series esque. It definitely had a lot of callbacks to both animated shows uh, with Rebels and because I feel like Rebels we always got a lot of like tail gunner action. <laughs> you know, Rebels like, was a lot of tail gunner, yeah. But like yeah. actually being out in space, like I'm thinking about those episodes from Clone Wars. Um, Oh, with Anakin and Ahsoka with spacesuits. Yeah, but then there was also one of the earlier ones with the guy who was, like, leading his clone troops through space, and he had the mask. Oh, yeah, you're talking about the the Cartoon Network, the Gendy Tartakovsky series, the guy who made Jack, uh, Samurai Jack. Maybe. It was like a 2D animated Clone Wars thing. It's the the horn, the guy with the horns. He steps out of the cruiser with a whole bunch of clones, and or maybe I'm like not recalling this correctly. But there's definitely like the, I think you're thinking about the 2D animated show. Maybe there's just so much canon. There's a lot. <laughs> yeah, but I. I Honestly, man, like episode three with that whole space sequence, especially her downing one of the fighters with her lightsabers. What's that was so cool to me. Like that, I felt there was somebody I think online that was like, they were like this versus the Mary Poppins Leia thing from Last Jedi, and I was like, yeah, it's night and day difference between, you know, how you handle that kind of thing. Like I, I really enjoyed it. It made me remember the the episode in Clone Wars where Anakin and Ahsoka had their spacesuits on and they were, you know, boarding the Separatist frigate or something like that. I forget exactly what happened in that episode, but all I remember is that action piece. Yeah, I think, like I said, like every episode has had the right amount of action and also like story progression. And I think the third one disappointing that it was only like 30 or so minutes because i felt like we were just getting to a point where i'm like we're we're about to put them back in trouble or like um, they're gonna figure their way out of this but then they cut to to credits and i feel like they could have could have had one more reveal after another like five or or so minutes i was waiting for Hera to show up with that with the ghost i want to see the ghost in action like i know we saw the phantom in action but let me see the ghost man that's it's a boxy ship, but I, I I like it. Yeah, I'm loving Chopper in there, and then we also need um, we need Zeb. Zeb, yeah. I mentioned the maps before. 
That was like one of my gripes with the show. My second gripe. Can we stop stabbing people with lightsabers and having them live immediately after? Because like, why it, it cauterizes the the wound immediately? <laughs> I saw so many arguments online on this, and I get it. Sabine was stabbed on the right, on like on the left side or right. I don't know what side. I think it was on the right. side, you know. Yeah. So I, 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 and she got immediate medical attention. That's fine, but the fact that in Kenobi we got like three of those happen in the same show and they all survive it just kind of diminishes the stakes for lightsaber fights for me well I'm, also like with boba fett in the back to tank like people can just survive anything these days right yeah like i just no i get the need for a cliffhanger especially like an episode one but yeah we could have done it a little better you know, like, and we knew it was she wasn't gonna die in that Right. You can't kill off Sabina in episode one. Also, like, if you want to non-mortally wound somebody with a lightsaber, can we, like, look at episode two with the Count Dooku fight, the way that Obi-Wan gets taken down by Dooku? There you go. Like, that's... You immobilize your enemy. It's not a fatal-looking thing. But, like, I'm just getting tired of this people getting stabbed and then surviving because my boy Qui-Gon over there... (laughs) I know. He could (laughs) have survived. He could have lived. Like, what... You know what it was? They just didn't pick up his reboot card in time. That's probably That's what it. it was. No, no. Obi Wan picked it up. He just did pass by a reboot van. The storm was closing. Yeah, he definitely ran back. Like he's like he set up his marker. He's running towards them, and then as soon as he sees that storm coming, he's like, "Oh, sorry, master. Sorry, I'll finish it for you. <laughs> I'll train Anakin for you. Albeit badly, but still." <laughs> uh, speaking of Hera, though, and Chopper and the whole crew. There is somebody new to the crew that we get in episode three. <laughs> yes. Jason Sindula. Yes. Kanan had a kid. Wowie. We knew that um, she was pregnant though, right? In Rebels. Um, I think it was implied, but I don't think they think ever they said alluded it. to it. Yeah. The, the 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 final episode, obviously we get to see the reveal of him, like in that little like narration. But very big upgrade from his <laughs> really like cabbage patch kids looking design from <laughs> from Rebels. Yeah. I feel like that was definitely one that um I'm interested to see what they do with. Yeah, I mean, why not just send him to Luke's school, right? Or now Ahsoka's having a school, essentially. <laughs> Luke's doomed school. <laughs> I know. I feel bad sending kids to that school, but like, where else are they gonna train? Well, I'm betting that if if he does get, it would make sense for him to be force sensitive given parentage, right? But um, I'm if if he does, if they do head that route with him, I want to see Ezra be the one to to take him under mm-hmm. his wing. It only makes sense, you know. That's essentially like the big brother role in this in this situation. You mean Merrick? <laughs> Don't tell me you're buying into that now. <laughs> I I sold myself. <laughs> this, Ezra, this episode. Ezra's Merrick is the new like Mephisto thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I I think that would be a good full circle. Plus, I really like the idea of these like new age Jedi that are not as stuck in the past like Luke is, where you know Kanan was totally fine having you know having feelings for um, Hera, not a big deal, and like. Ahsoka was willing to leave the order because of oversights and blind spots that they had. And 
I think Sabine is obviously a rebel in that sense as well. And Ezra also is like, I just want good for the world in whatever way I have to achieve that. So I think that could be a nice little, you know, second school option instead of Luke's hard knocks over there. Yeah, Harris should really homeschool this kid because, like, I don't think <laughs> I don't think you want them anywhere near Luke in the next no. 15 years. Um, last thing, can we talk about? This should take a minute, not even. But um, so as the as Ahsoka, Sabine, and and the droid are escaping, they run into a sea of creatures in the clouds of the planet that they're on. How amazing is it to see the Purgle? In live action. That was cool. And to see them up close this time. Because in Mando season three, we got that slight glimpse while they're in high yeah. space. It was like it was like someone was doing like shadow puppets. Yeah. <laughs> Which it kinda it kinda did look like shadow puppet like yeah. awesome. But this Dude, is awesome. I'm impressed with the level of like quality that the CGI is for these TV projects here. I don't think Star Wars has dropped the ball on that at all for any of their shows. No. Not at all. Can't say the same thing about Marvel. But <laughs> no, it, which is crazy. It's like you're under the same parent company, but like these guys really care about it and want to make sure that it, they're doing it right. I think it's because Star Wars sticks stick with ILM, which is their it's the Lucasfilm um, studio, whereas Marvel outsources their stuff all the time. Um, yeah, no, it was great to see them. I love the. I want to learn more about these like force sensitive creatures between the Pergil and the Loth Wolves and oh, the world yeah. between worlds and all that. Like I'm excited to see them. Even dude, even the Loth Cat, I thought was so well done. Like obviously a mix of puppetry and CGI, but I thought they nailed it. It looks just like a cat would behave in the uh, in the real world. Yeah, I mean something seemed off about it, but it is really cool to see these little things come come to life. Like that watchtower on Lothal, I felt like was a second home. Like we knew that place so well. And to see it in, in live action is like, wow, they, they just brought that to life. They did. I think um it's it's, it's weird. I'm really worried about Sabine's cat though. Like who's who's feeding it now that she's gone? Cats can take care of themselves. I guess that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um any last things you want to talk about or predictions or whatever? Um, I really love the inclusion of some of the, like, and the, they're weaving it into the show, but if, you've, if you're fresh out of Rebels, like, one of the senators of Lothal being Jai from, like, the Cadets episode of Rebels was great. Ryder, the former governor of Lothal, being the governor of Lothal now, fantastic little call out. Um, the fruits from the episode, like, little minor things like that I thought was being brought Are to you live playing action. 57 Easter eggs right now, Ivan? I'm not. <laughs> I'm playing 10. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. This guy has Easter eggs on deck. Wow. Here's the 62 Easter eggs. You <laughs> With an extra seven, just just for spares. Um, but that, that's no, the I'm, thing I'm, that I'm also talking about. Like, I am not fresh off watching it, but I obviously watched all those. Like, a lot of those I catch, but a lot of these little things that like you have a better memory for either in general or because you just watched it like those stick out to you even more it's like i enjoy it without noticing those things and people who have not seen any of it i'm sure are enjoying it just because it's like oh ahsoka is going on this big mission this is also the first time 
this is the first series of anything that we've seen Dave Filoni write himself from start to finish on anything. Because even in Clone Wars and all these other, there's been a plethora of writers in the writer's room. Um, but to have Filoni be the showrunner, executive producer, and writer for all of these episodes, this is where we get to see him prove himself. You know, because they're giving him that movie, that Heir to the Empire film. Um, and I'm excited yep. for it just because I've seen the animated stuff. But obviously, animation is one thing. Live action is another. Um, but yeah, it, it works. I've seen some people complain about Rosario Dawson's depiction of Ahsoka, which I just want to wow. talk about a little bit here. But what could be the, wrong? Like They're like, works. oh, she's she's too like... She's too much of serious? a bummer. She's like too serious. I was like, yeah, you would be too if you survived two wars. Your mentor became basically space Hitler. <laughs> um, yeah. Most of your friends are dead. She's and she's like not young anymore, which was like that yeah. was her whole thing. Was like she was naive as a young kid, as, as an apprentice. And yeah. yeah, she's been through all this trauma. Like, why would she be so cheery? <laughs> right. And she's she's pushing forty, I think, or in her forties in here in this show. Versus the last time we saw her in Rebels, where she was like, you know, in her late twenties, early early thirties. So yeah. definitely, I feel like she's playing it really well. She's obviously older and wiser. I I'm loving it. Yeah, um, she's she's so great in this role. I can't wait to see this confrontation between her and Balin that we keep seeing in the trailers. But and also the fact that apparently next week's episode, that's the, that's that's it. That's the that's as much footage as we've seen in the trailer. That's the end of the trailer. Yeah. So, I'm I'm excited. I'm a bit of in, in the dark on this stuff. I'm excited to see Thrawn. Um, but yeah, I just I'm not even gonna speculate on a lot of things because I have my own theories on stuff. But I I'm enjoying the ride, and I hope I keep enjoying the ride. To be honest. But yeah, that makes the prediction pretty easy for next week because we know that they are gonna face off. So, and they're also hunting Ahsoka. And Sabine as they try and fix their ship on this planet. So I think that'll probably be a, towards the end of this. And then I imagine they get to fly away in the same style of like Qui-Gon flying away from fighting Maul in, in Phantom Menace, right? Like it's probably going to be one of those setups. Right. What's what's one thing, though, before the show ends that you would like to I, see? I got to see. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe not like a must, but like something I that you see, feel like they would do. Yeah, I want to see Hera kind of abandon the New Republic in a way where she'll join forces here and know that she can do m- more good for the galaxy by kind of going without these New Republic mandates and all that stuff. Like in the same way that, you know, Din Djarin can do more than if he accepted that Marshall's role, right? Right. I think that's one thing I would love to see. I, I don't really care to see if Sabine gets force sensitivity, like being able to pull the cup towards her, like she was trying to do at the end of the episode. Like that, that'd be cool to see, and might be hard to explain for me. But yeah, I don't know. And I, I, I want to see Ezra, but I feel like that's so, like such a like we're heading that path anyway. It's more of those things that like might not actually be written in. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'd be surprised if we get more than an episode's worth of Ezra in this season. To yeah. be honest, I'm like trying to set my expectations on that because I feel like sometimes you get just carried away with some of the stuff that one can predict. Um, honestly, I the the biggest thing I want to see 
uh, from the show. It's just like, <clears throat> I want to see how they set things up for this movie that's coming up for the Heir to the Empire stuff. Are we going to get Ahsoka season two? I, I don't know. Um, I think like we're still years away from that film. So I know we're getting another season of Mando. So chances are we might get another season of Ahsoka and then tie into the movie. But I almost want to, I want to just have some sort of like check-in with the original trilogy characters just to kind of see what they're up to. Yeah, definitely. Because I don't think you can do that movie without them. And I'm just curious to see how they handle that because you know we've seen cgi luke and i think he's gotten progressively better um to be honest i would have recast those roles you know instead of doing like deep fake versions of them yeah you don't think fans would revolt i don't think so i think not my luke not my leia (laughs) not my han han would be the one i think that would be the craziest to see yeah yeah um but yeah, I just want to see how they tie all this stuff in because they definitely have written themselves into a very interesting corner of the Star Wars universe and time and in, in, in the timeline. Um, I'm excited to see it. It's just I'm also kind of nervous. <laughs> you know, like it'll be okay, Ivan. No cry. Fan fans of the pod, Ivan is visibly weeping right now <laughs> into his microphone. <laughs> No, but it, it's I'm excited though. This this is um I haven't Star Wars hasn't disappointed me in a while. Yeah, and I book. also haven't been this excited for Star Wars for a while as well. Like Obi Wan series was I was excited for, but not like this. This is like living up to the hype and more. Yeah. I just I hope that this also opens people up to watching those animated shows. Cause I feel yeah. like they were dismissed a lot and I just I hope they find new life now with this show. They're so worth out. it. Yeah. yeah. I had to pull tooth and nail to get you to, <laughs> get you to watch these shows. Well, I think the thing that's most intimidating is like, number one, it's animated. And two, some of these seasons are pretty long. There's a lot of episodes. So it's like, it feels like you're doing this massive undertaking when in reality it's like, oh, they do it in these like three or four episode arcs. So you really like only have to watch maybe an hour and a half, maybe two hours, and then you can put it down because that's like a perfect stopping point. It's like the intimidation of getting into comics, which you have like six. Well, that's reading. Years. I don't want to do that. Don't make me do well, that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the other aspect of it. But yeah, that, that that that's about it. I'm excited to see um, episode four. I want to see the ghost cool. in action, man. I I yeah. hope there's a good space battle there again. Yeah. Cool. Let's uh, yeah, let's end it there. We'll come back for week four, but in the meantime, thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening.